Welcome to Tabletop Treasures, your podcast all about tabletop, weird stories we come up with, fancy little things that we think are interesting. I'm your host, Kieran. And I'm Ryan. And this week, we're getting back to the old basics. So last week, we uh, had Michael Doan come, or last episode, we don't do these every week, but yeah, we had um, him come on and talk about his Quake Borg, which was uh, pretty awesome, actually. Very easy on our voices. Oh, fantastic for us. <laughs> you definitely do more of that. But uh, this week we have um, a new section that I'm calling Table Etiquette, which is we'll just talk about something that uh, happens at the tabletop um, between players, not always something to do with the game itself, more something that usually personalities butting heads around the table. So this week, Rules Lawyers. Um, I've come up against this a few times. Um, I feel like as a GM, you'll come up against this or be annoyed by it more than as players will because players, I guess, if they're coming up against a rules lawyer, it's just the GM. But if you're the GM and you're coming against a bunch of players doing it, it's just that kind of gang up situation. Not always, but I, I personally, I feel like that's happened more in my world. Um, have you come up against it before, Ryan? Um, yeah, so I, I'm sure there's uh, scenarios where, as a player, you could probably be very frustrated by another rules lawyer if you're trying to play the game your way and someone has a very, very strong opinion about whether or not you're following the rules. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I wouldn't necessarily say I've run into any hardcore rule lawyers. Um, one thing I guess I maybe have struggled with in the past is being um, authoritative enough to just say, you know what, um, this is how we're playing the rule now and we can look it up later when players are sort of inquisitive about the rules. But as as for actual rules, lawyers, I don't think any of my players know the games well enough to try that shit. Ah, that's, that, that is good. I kind of... I think as a GM, it is nice to have people that don't know the rules because then, like, it's not about the rules. It's about just coming up with stories and having fun. But if they don't know the rules, then they're just going to believe everything you say. And, like, I hope oh, which for is the great most part GMs – Yeah, I hope for the most part GMs aren't, like, trying to F over their players. But, like, if no one's questioning you on the rules are, then you're just like, yeah, that hits. Or um, no, you can't do the backflip off the horse, or whatever it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, so I agree. For, I think if it works. Oh yeah, if if something works, just let them do it. Um, I've I've let someone like jump off of someone's shield before, like a uh, enemy's shield before, like just things. But there's not even inherently a rule for it, and you're just like, just make a decision. But yeah, so for me, um, I was doing something and a player wanted to become a vampire. And this is back in uh, three or 3.5 days. I um, came up with a special class where I was just like, usually there was a level adjustment of plus eight. So if they were a vampire, they would gain experience as if they were plus eight levels. So they would be getting no experience. 
I made a custom class, which was a custom vampire modifier race, whatever. That was plus two, but they had like none of the normal benefits of a vampire. They um essentially were they could drink blood of enemies to heal and they could walk in the sun, so they're like a sunwalker vampire, and that was about it. And again, then plus two. And one of the other players was like, no, it has to be plus eight. I'm like, I'm not playing if it's plus eight. And he was adamant, like, you can't change the rules. Like, the rules are the rules. And I'm like, the first page of the DM's guide for 3.5 is like, these are a guideline. Like, like come up with rules. Like, add homebrew. Like, whatever happens at the table, you know, make it fun sort of thing. And that's what I was trying to do. And... Yeah, this guy stopped playing. Um, oh, they actually stopped playing. They actually stopped playing because I let someone else do something that they wanted to do for fun. I made it very not OP, uh, but it wasn't in the rules. Yeah, right. So, well, I mean, it sounds like in this scenario, the fact that they were wholly opposed to any sort of rule change means, you know, there's probably not much more you could have done, but I do think that touches on two issues with this. Um, the first being, like you said, you know, um, it's our job to come up with stuff and uh, every edition of um, Dragon Game, uh, <laughs> to use our friend from last time's uh, terminology, and um, virtually, like so many, so many tabletop RPGs do say that, they have the caveat, you know, like the rules are a guideline, but you're supposed to be having fun and telling stories, so do whatever you need to to do that. Um, and then the the other factor is that balance. Like, okay, it's okay to say one player is a vampire. Um, and it sounds like you did that very fairly, but where is the limit? Well, it was with part of his story as well. He wanted to. Where... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, like he. No, yeah. he. So it was part of his story. He wanted to become this vampire to defeat all the other vampires because the main enemy of the campaign at that point was this like dark, generic vampire. And he got cursed by them or yeah, he got the vampire curse and he wanted to turn it into its own thing. I was like, that's a cool idea. Let's run with it. Yeah. Which sounds great, which to me is the purpose of the game. Um, but what all I was going to say is that um, I can see scenarios going bad where you, you don't take the other players into account. And it sounds like, like I said, as a, as a, as a GM, you did a fine job, but, I can certainly see, I can imagine a scenario where there are players with all of these fun ideas and they're saying, oh, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. Um, and maybe there's a level where the DM, GM has to, you know, arbitrate that and say, well, that's not going to be fun for the other players if we do all of this wild stuff that's against the rules. Some level of structure um, is important. Otherwise, it's not a game. Otherwise, you are just sitting around at a table telling stories, which is fine, which is fantastic, but... There, there's certainly a balance, I would think. Yeah, there is a balance. And I think at the end of the day, you should let the GM come up with the rules. I think yes, that makes true. it like they're trying to arbitrate for all players. Um, I've had a few players who definitely wanted to be the strongest in the party and would min max their characters and like they didn't want to participate in any of the conversations. It was almost always just like, I say, yes, when's the fighting start? 
yeah, they want to do the mechanical side of things. They want to roll their D20 which, now. Which is fine. Um, I think most of the people I play with, though, are there for the story, not the numbers are just a way to bring the story beats together where I've had, I think yeah. it's two players that I've played with where the story is to get to the number part. Yeah, which would be very good to Thankfully, have, I've to roll the higher number. Because there, there are definitely that, people yeah. that are like, the more dice I roll on a turn, oh, yeah. Which I mean, it, that's it is, super That does satisfying. feel good, but it's not the whole game. No, and I think that's what separates a lot of these tabletop experiences from just wargaming. Um, and you can get that experience out of wargaming very easily. Like uh, Warhammer 40K is a fantastic game if all you want to roll is like a billion D6s. Like that's without thinking about story at all. That's, you know, the perfect game for you. Um, certainly tabletop role-playing, role-playing is in the name. Um, has a lot more to yeah, do with like role uh, playing the mechanics as a vehicle for story. So... Yeah. Um, the other thing that I have had is around player injury and death where sometimes I roll my own rules around crit fails or um, massive damage and things like that. And people sometimes oh, yeah. people are like, oh, that's not like that's not on the rules. I shouldn't be getting – I shouldn't uh, sprain my leg or like not be able to use my leg for a few weeks. And I'm like, I'm not doing it to be punishing. Like, because like it, the same thing happens to enemies. It's just for most of the time you kill the enemies. So you'd, yeah, you, you finish them that. off after you maim them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for the most part, I think a lot of players have found that like, okay. Cause like they can in, put it into their story. They can have the big, uh, Geralt scar from the witcher or something like that oh, absolutely that. scars even losing limbs i mean there's so many fantasy characters who have uh, suffered from that and grown from that it's a great you know uh, character development yeah, issue as I, well i think yeah players that struggle with that stuff which is fine if you if that's not how you want to play the game that's fine um yeah everyone is going i think to play it personally for me maybe i need to bring that up at the start like hey I think that's um, a I session always, zero thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I give. Um, I haven't done it in my last two campaigns because I play with the same players and they know my rules. Um, but I used to have a crit oh, fail. Yeah, I've heard uh, about sheet. you. I've heard about you from so many of your players at this point, Karen. Thank you. Um, but yeah, like I used to hand out like a crit fail sheet that was just like, oh, here's the things I have, and like it wasn't always negative as well. Um, and the good thing about the way that I did that is that the enemies would do that as well. So they might accidentally like stab their friend. Um, so it, it was beneficial. Like if everything's OP, nothing's OP sort of thing. Yeah. And you've established that. And I think the most important part of that is um, the same rules do apply for everyone. You're not just winging it. So if a crit fail costs you a limb or a scar or something like that, every player knows that's going to happen to every player. I could certainly see an issue where um, you make player A on a, a crit against them, they lose an arm, but player B has a crit against them and they stub their toe or something. I could definitely see that being a huge issue. But if the players know what to expect, even if it's a random table and the results are different, but as long as you enforce those rules equally, then yeah, absolutely. Which is yeah, definitely what I try and do. But it sounds like you haven't run into a lot of that at all. 
uh, my look, my um, my main table is just a very interesting group of people, and I love them to bits. Um, I think the grognards, um, people who have been playing D&D for, you know, 20, 30 years would fucking, well, actually I shouldn't say that. I was going to say they would hate us, but I think a large majority of them would think it's great and it's probably very similar to what they've been doing. But um, I play extremely fast and loose. When I started playing, um, every single one of my players, with the exception of your brother, was um, completely new to TTRPGs. I am. And so... I'd only played a few. I'd never DM'd before. So we sort of learned together. Um, and we've sort of developed what we play together. Like, I'm I'm extremely lucky. I, I could not be more thankful about it. Um, we were good friends going into it, and having fun matters more to us than the rules. People know my style now, which is to be extremely fast and loose with the rules. Um, but we do try to be... We do try to be... Fair, I think, and I've I've had a problem where um, I don't know if I'd call them a rule lawyer, but certainly I had an issue, and this came up quite recently because we're getting to know the rules better. Um, and maybe we did play some things wrong in the early days, and I had a player bring up, "Well, hang on, um, you, you didn't you didn't do this last time," and I said, "Yeah, well, that's true, but we were playing wrong before." And you, I think, I, I've learned about maybe having that conversation better and saying, "Hey." You know, we've been playing this rule wrong going forward. This is how that rule works, and this is how we're going to be playing it. Um, so, so I think I have run into that issue, and um, it hasn't been like game breaking or anything like that because they've just been like, "Oh yeah," or I've been like, "Well, actually, um, this is always how we've been running it." But uh, they're all. I think it, it it helps for us. It's almost cheating to have a scenario where it's people who get along anyway. Um, because I know so much of TTRPGs is just finding finding people who want to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you don't have that relationship, I, it, it's probably a lot harder. So I, I could not be more open about how thankful I am for my, my players, even though, look, none of us know what we're doing, but we have a good time. So It's the best way to do it, for certain. Yeah, well, on that, on that nice note, maybe we should uh, have a little bit of a break. That sounds good to me. Welcome back from the break. So for this, we're going to do a character creator. And Ryan's going to take us off. He's going to tell us all about the crazy ideas he's coming up with. Some wild ideas. Now, here's the thing about many, many, many role-playing worlds. Um, at, at least the high fantasy ones, um, especially D&D. Um, the gods are real. So that's kind of an undeniable fact of most realities that we play these games in. Um, fantasy games especially, but for the most part you have a pantheon of gods and, I mean, 90% of the time they're literally granting magical powers to every guy and his dog. <laughs> so... To to be, I don't think you could be an atheist. Not in the sense that we understand it here. The gods are real. You'd, you'd have to be sort of, um, you'd have to be living on a different planet to go out in the town square and say, I don't believe in um, Heliod, god of the, the sun, for example. You would be but like if- the people that go into the mall now claiming there is a god. That is what you would be like to everybody <laughs> if you were the person going like- into the town square claiming there is no gods. 
Yeah, it's it's flat earther vibes. Well, Love if it. Heliod is real, why does the sun go away at nighttime? Um, so here's my character concept. Um, and please stop me if this is too edgy or a cliche, but um, I think it could be kind of fun. You have a paladin. You have a paladin who, I mean, acknowledges that the gods are real. I mean, they're up there. They're doing things. But he doesn't acknowledge their authority. Um, and so you have you have this figure who understands the reality of the situation, but, I mean, realizes that maybe his paladin dad or his paladin auntie or his... Um, his his warlock sister can probably get to powers like pretty quickly approaching the powers of most gods people talk about by the end of their career if they're an adventuring hero and they hit the equivalent of level 20. Um, so I want a paladin whose main goal in life, for, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll let you maybe um, springboard some reasons, but he is out to prove that although the gods exist, they're not worthy of being worshipped. Yeah, I, I like that. Like, cause, yeah, you do. You can't get to a power level when you're fighting gods. So, what makes them gods? Were they just adventurers before you? Um, I'd like, I'd like to see like him or her or the, the character like maybe as a kid like they were bullied because they thought they could have the power of gods or something like, and then like they got bullied about it so much. They just completely flipped on the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that happening. Um, some, somebody from a relatively godless household who was mocked by the other children for not knowing anything about the gods or not going to church or. Hmm. I, could, yeah, I think it also that. Sorry, sorry, go on. No, no, yeah, I was just yeah, I could definitely see like yeah, them being mocked and bullied would definitely especially around like not believing in it being the weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it opens up the opportunity for gods to be antagonists as well, which does happen occasionally. They're obviously evil gods to begin with, but sort of a, a, an interesting about face to have stereotypically good gods. Um, maybe the, maybe the paladins outreach program is to help people realize that the gods don't actually give a shit about them. Paladins anonymous. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, you could you could definitely take that many different ways. I would actually love to see um in that character's campaign like a trickster god get involved with them, making them think they are more powerful than the gods. Oh, absolutely. A trickster god could have a wild time with this. I yeah, I love throwing a trickster god in all the time with my players. It's always the funnest. So where where would you take 
this paladin, I guess their 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 character, the or the person playing them, is aiming to get to level twenty and to yeah. prove to everyone like, look, anyone can do this. <laughs> yeah, and and we can do um a sort of personal inspiration because like you said, you have the bullying element or if you were to take the traditional fantasy opening, like you have this poor kid whose village has just been raised by the, the goblin king. Um, and he finds himself, you know, in the wreckage of the world with his, his, you know, what was once his home burning around him. Um, and where, you know, so many heroes would take that as a reason to go after the goblin king. And I just think maybe the motivation of our hero is how our hero thinks, well, you know, fuck the Goblin King. There's Goblin Kings left and right. What about the gods that that didn't stop this? What about, you know, we had like, we had eight churches in our village and none of the gods stopped the Goblin King. So I'm not going to waste my was time this, on a small Was this that, like that village of Adelaide? Yeah, how did you know? The village of churches. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so like this interesting motivation where, there and and look there's a lot of contention about playing a bad guy party like it's hard to run a lot of fantasy games as the bad guys but i i don't think that that's what this is i i think it's a wholly good paladin it's not a fallen paladin they just have a particular vendetta against an otherwise good god i think you could be like a chaotic good here like i want to save people the gods aren't allowed to save people. I'm allowed. Like it's the most selfish, good person ever. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they're. I mean, that's a that's a much more altruistic motivation than I was talking about. And I like that. I think that humanizes the paladin a lot more. The paladin is traveling around from town to town, saving people because he doesn't think the gods are going to do it. So I had another thought for this as well, which yeah. would be. Um, You've seen Incredibles? Yes, I have. So the kid that like follows the heroes around and they never give him the time of day, so he becomes the villain. You could do a play mm-hmm. on that where like the gods are saving the villages, like they're around every village, and this little paladin kid just is like, I want to save the villages too, and they're just like, no, you're a kid. You can't. Let, let us do the zappy zappy lightnings. Um, and he just gets pushed back one too many times. He's like, well, if I can't do it with you, I'm going to do it without you. Oh, okay. See, I even see that as a pathway for, we've been talking about a player character until this point, I assume, but, um, that would actually make a pretty Big good bad guy. in the, yeah, in the sense that the, um, the, it did in the Incredibles. So you have someone who, uh, is out to destroy the gods, but most people are actually pretty cool with the gods and find that the gods do help out and don't really want this guy to go and kill all of their deities. But he he thinks he's in the right. Uh, yeah, like finding uh, motivation for a bad guy where they legitimately think they're in the right and they're not just killing people because they can is like quite hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially you get you get this opportunity to... God, this is this this could be quite complex already. Where if you have this noble paladin as the big bad guy, but only some people realize that he's a bad guy because he does go town to town saving people. 
um, even though he clearly has ulterior motives. And so you, you have to wrestle with the idea that he is an extremely powerful villain martially, but also the the party have to sort of fight against public opinion, which is, you know, everyone loves this guy. Like, maybe he's not openly talking about how much he wants to kill all of the gods. Maybe um, he's very subtly trying to kill one of the party members, maybe the cleric or another paladin's god, and they're like, hang on a second, aren't you supposed to be the, the folk hero we've all heard about? Which opens the door for some very hilarious and you know rude monologues to the players about how well no one will believe you anyway. Ah, oh, yeah, the the no one would believe you anyway is such a cool line that I think would really rile the players up into like now we're gonna kill this guy. <laughs> Especially if the player feels attached to their character and their character's god. Exactly. I think I think that's really good. I love the many different ways that you could play play this where he just like doesn't get along with the gods. So yeah. What let's say they do take out all the gods. What do they do with all the planes? Do they just take them as their own? Well, okay, that's a good question. Um if we're really eliminating yeah, and where do we stop? Like, are we only eliminating major gods, or are we going to every plane and wiping out every god responsible for every single thing? I mean, the the satyr god, who is, um, you know, sometimes a god and sometimes not, is interesting. Is he going to go after him as well? I'd say yes. That's what, like that's your level twelve boss. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. So I don't know. Do you, is it just some sort of naturalism? Does this, does this person just believe that the natural order will overcome the absences of the gods? I suppose if they believe that the gods are not almighty, then they would think that those that everything can operate perfectly fine. But maybe that's a maybe that's a good uh, roadblock when they defeat their first uh, god, who's representative of some sort of plane, and that plane immediately collapses. It'd be really cool to have that as the big bad guy. And then every time they take out a god, like the world is infested with like all the monsters from that collapsed plane. And like no one can figure out why. Like every 20 years or so, this massive event happens or something like that. You could structure a whole campaign around this, actually. Yeah, you, you definitely could have this as a big bad. Um, the, the world is getting worse and worse around the, the players as. More and more gods are are killed. You could you could you good motivation for some of the more holy members of the party to to maybe at level twenty when you retire the character to become the replacement god as well. Oh yeah, well I've done that. Like so, we had a campaign and we're playing a second campaign now, which is like five hundred years after the first, and all the player characters are now um, minor gods. Oh, that's really cool. So one of the players now something. worships one of the characters, one of the other person's characters <laughs> as a god. See, that's fantastic. That I was going to say I've done something on a much smaller scale where um, when we were first learning D&D, we did like some starter kits and stuff. And uh, we we 
when we started our actual campaign, it's slightly more um, advanced technologically. So would be a hundred or so years in the future. And we just have those characters as like locally known heroes. Like they'll sometimes bump into a statue of one of their player characters from like day one when we did the Stranger Things starter box or something. Oh yeah. So we did 500 years after, but it's less technologically advanced because what, okay. what made the original set gods is they protected the land from um, another god, funnily enough, and they all sacrificed themselves. Um, but in doing so, like it wiped out one of the major continents, which had like the the goblin tech guild halls and like all this other stuff, and all of that was wiped from the world. But they saved the rest of the world. But like all the all the major tech was gone. The ma- the massive wizarding hub. So all that's wiped from the world, and now they're playing five hundred years after, and they're only just starting to get some of that knowledge back. Oh right, that's a really interesting setting. Yeah, I, I like I like think of it like the whole like Aztec and Egyptian stuff. How like they had really good building techniques, and like that was obviously lost for like a thousand years. Yeah, we just forgot how to do certain things and had to relearn. <laughs> how do we build higher than one story, guys? <laughs> well, maybe. Okay, okay. Instead of te- technology vanishing, here's an idea for our uh, paladin as a big bad evil guy. Um, he kills the god of death. Maybe for the motivations we addressed before, maybe for some other reason. Um, and you get a zombie apocalypse scenario because death is dead. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's, there's so many things you could do with it. But we don't have time to discuss them because we're out of time. Unfortunately not. No, that was good though. It'd be nice talking to you. Um, Definitely enjoying it. If anyone, if anyone would like to find us, uh, we're on Twitter and some other places at TTRPG Treasures. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll see you back next time and go get that treasure.